You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome into episode 166 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, we have so much to get through. We have a great show planned for today. We'll lead off talking about number eight Virginia Tech's wrestling's dramatic, thrilling win over third-ranked North Carolina State to win the ACC Dual Team Championship. Plus, number 16, Virginia Tech men's basketball survives on the road in Coral Gables. Hunter Couture, the hero. We'll talk about men's basketball last week with the Pittsburgh game and Miami. And we'll talk about the addition of former Hokie standout J.C. Price as the co-defensive line coach. We're fired up for episode 166 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It all gets started right now. Whether you're watching live or or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, we're so glad you we're so glad you could join us today as we record on Monday morning, February eighth. Our crew today to my left, we have our managing editor Chris Coleman. Across the way, our founder and general manager Will Stewart. Behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, it is great to have you with us. If you have a question for Will or Chris, because there is a lot of news going around Virginia Tech Athletics right now, be sure to drop it in the YouTube live chat, and we will get to them at the end of the show. The Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by Campus Emporium, the Southeast Regional Training Center. Go to southeastrtc.com, southeastrtc.com. To find out how you can get involved with Virginia Tech Wrestling today and Anytime Fitness, Each new member gets a free fitness consultation and a program is designed. When you sign up, sign up for a dollar through your first billing period. You can call 540-951-1340. Again, that's 540-951-1340. Ask for Tyler and tell him that Tech Sideline sent you. Yes, indeedy. So I'm three weeks in, I guess. Lost five pounds so far. Now, unfortunately for me probably a couple pounds of that has been muscle because i just don't i don't eat enough calories i don't eat enough uh, protein in particular but anyway starting to feel the difference give me another three weeks and i'll really be feeling the difference um so to add to the promo uh if you sign up for a regular membership even if you don't sign up for personal training um you get a free fitness consultation and they design a plan for you so they're doing it's part of the membership they're doing this competition right now too yeah started a new competition uh it's it's basically a weight it's a body composition challenge basically and you can win it either by muscle growth or or fat percentage loss 
or some combination of the above, and everybody that works there gets together and decides who wins once all the numbers come in after three or four months or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't know how I'll do in that because uh, it's funny. I've lost five pounds, but the body fat percentage didn't go down any because I lost two pounds of muscle. I was right. losing three yeah. pounds of fat. Well, that, that muscle, I, I was in the challenge in uh, this past fall, and the muscle – uh, thing fluctuates. fluctuates. It's not necessarily all, always accurate, but the body fat percentage is, is what you really need to. You can really monitor that on a week to week basis more so than the muscle growth. All right, type uh, what is what I think. I, I think it's actually eight weeks. I right. think I think that's what they told well, me. Well, so. my, well, my goal in in the one in the fall was to get down to ten percent body fat, and I got down to exactly ten percent body fat. So my, my goal this time is to get down into single digits, like nine percent or something. Wow. Yeah. And I'm at 11.8, so I don't have that far to go, really. Yeah. So it sh- shouldn't be all that hard. If I'm at 11.8, I weigh 181 right now. If I get down to something like 12, I'll probably be like 158 or 160 pounds, <laughs> yeah. which I haven't been in a long time. Okay, that's Anytime Fitness. Call 540-951-1340. Ask for Tyler and tell him that Tech Sideline sent you. So great to have everybody with us. We have a, a great show planned for today. And, Will, it's consecutive weeks, so we've got a lot of positivity to bring on the podcast today. A lot of good things to talk about. Right, and somebody summed it up on our subscriber message board. You know, I don't know if I can remember it all off the top of my head. It starts with women's basketball beating NC State, then men's basketball beating number eight UVA, the same weekend that wrestling was winning twice. Then you get in the last week, and, and, and there's a loss to pit in there. <laughs> and then uh, they go, and, and wrestling wins Friday night. Men's basketball wins Saturday, so it's been it's been a really fun two weeks. So we're going to completely bury the whole pit thing. We're probably not going to. Yeah. Well, it's about Pittsburgh. That. If you're a Tech fan, you just it, you accept it at this point. Yeah, bad know, things it, happen in the city. The game was actually close with like eight minutes left to go, and then it just fell apart. And that mm-hmm. stuff happens. And and it's funny. Um, you can tell that. Uh, you got you got to watch and root for basketball in a different way, you know. So somebody again, somebody on the message board said, you know, in football, if you lose a game, it's a big deal and you suck. You know, in basketball, maybe you're just not shooting well that night, and it's a, it's a twenty five thirty or more game season, and you know sometimes it's just not your night, you know. And and in particular, so the uh, it's it's interesting. I had a phone conversation Friday afternoon with a prospective. Uh, uh, member of sports media and analytics as a high school student up in Northern Virginia, I was talking to, and, and I think he's a junior, so he's still got another year. And, and at one point he asked me about um, a question related to transitioning from being a fan to being somebody who covers the program. Great question. And it devolved yeah. into this discussion of, and I said, you know, I just don't get that nervous watching football, but basketball, I get wired watching basketball because it just you, – you live and die with like every single possession and the possessions are boom, boom, boom like this. So it, there's there's this thing, this thing you should probably do is just calm down and just kind of watch the whole game and look for the ebbs and flows. and So do as you say and not as you do. I know it. You know, football, you run a play, you got – 40 seconds where you're not doing anything right you, you yeah. know you but, got time to calm down basketball so, yeah. you're up and down the floor and there's no time to calm down. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie 42 
Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so, yes, I have so seen that. Evan movie. has seen a okay. movie, and so, I have not. Okay, so there's a guy in <laughs> the movie. There's a guy in the movie who hates the city of Pittsburgh, but he felt uncomfortable playing with Jackie Robinson, so he asked for a trade. So he gets traded to Pittsburgh, <laughs> and like towards the end of the movie, they they show this scene, and he's sitting in the in the in the dugout in Pittsburgh, and the Pirates are losing, and he just goes. <sighs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> so that's how I feel every time Virginia Tech plays in Pittsburgh. I'll just sit so, back and say, So if that's in the movie 42, someone, and I'm specifically <laughs> talking about you, Shelton Moss, you need to go get that little slice of that guy going, <sighs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> and that needs to be a thing. It needs to be a meme. Yeah. Real quick, uh, it's the first time that Will, Chris, and I have all – been in the same room watching a Virginia Tech sporting event. It was not planned. Ooh, we all happened ah. to run into each other at PKs well, on what, and, Wednesday. And here, here and we go. So we're 0-1. Uh, an, an, another RSN game, right? right? So Which I don't get to watch at home. And we were 0-2 when I go downtown to watch RSN games. But 1-0 and when I listen on the radio. Mm. So I listened on the radio again on Saturday. And boom, now we're 2-0. There we go. When I listen on the radio, which I enjoyed, it's it's like '90s nostalgia. I know. Um, so and, I, and sometimes I like not knowing. Like when I went back and watched the condensed game and the highlights and everything like that. Like obviously, there's some controversy on whether or not Hunter Couture stepped out of bounds. Um, I liked. I kind of wish I hadn't watched the replays now. Uh, even before like. Even games you watched on TV back in the day, before there was HD TV and before the advent of replay, you know, I feel like replay came into the game in football not to analyze every single little blade of grass. It was out there. It, replay came into existence to when a ref completely botches a call to fix it, not to analyze every single little play and every little square inch of every little blade of grass on the yeah. field, right? I feel like so. I felt like by listening to that game on the radio, I had no idea that that Hunter Couture might have stepped out of bounds. So Laser and Burnham didn't talk about it at all. No, they didn't talk about yeah. it at all. I don't know if they could tell. Um, yeah. But when I when I first saw the highlight, I'm like, did he step out of bounds? And they didn't call it. And it is I, that is not reviewable. And that, that's not reviewable anyway, yeah. right? So, but point being, like, I didn't know. And as Seth Greenberg used to say, you don't know what you don't know, right? So listening to a game on the radio, you don't know things like that. Uh, you only know what Burnup and John Laser tell you. So we have a lot to get through today. We're going to talk about Hunter Couture and that buzzer-beating three that sent the game to overtime and a thrilling win against Miami. We are going to talk about Virginia Tech wrestling. We'll talk about Virginia Tech women's basketball. We'll get to your questions. But I do want to start off the podcast, and of course we'll get into Virginia Tech football, but I want to start off the podcast talking about three Virginia Tech Hokies that won Super Bowl rings on Sunday night. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Kansas City Chiefs 31-9. Former Virginia Tech quarterback Bruce Arians won a ring as the head coach of the Buccaneers, joined alongside assistant coach and former Tech linebacker Cody Grimm, as well as former Hokies defensive back and assistant Nick Rapone. What a big day for the Hokies at the Super Bowl and Bruce Arians getting a ring. What were your thoughts, Chris, when you saw it? I was expecting – I was not expecting a 31-9 to win. I was, yeah, I thought it would be closer. I, I mean, that's really impressive that you can hold an offense like the Chiefs to, to nine points, I think. Yeah. Uh, as a Packers fan, I have no idea how the Packers weren't in that game yesterday. I mean, Tom Brady threw three interceptions against the Packers. 
and looked like a compute, complete human being, and somehow the Packers still managed to lose the game. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch the Super Bowl last night. I forgot about the Super Bowl last night. I didn't get to, I didn't get to invited to any Super Bowl parties this year. Right. Imagine that. Because yeah, COVID. Right. right. Uh, so it's strange. Ten years ago yesterday, my buddy Sean, the Packers won the Super Bowl, right? And my buddy Sean and I went downtown to watch the Super Bowl. And that was back when Aaron Rodgers came up with the give me the belt celebration. So we took the WWF championship belt downtown with us, watched the Packers Super Bowl, <laughs> every, everything like that. And it's if you told me then, if you told me then, Chris, 10 years from now, you'll wake up at 645 in the morning on Super Bowl Sunday to watch the Tottenham game. And then later that night, you'll forget that the Super Bowl's even on TV. I would have said, you're nuts. Who's uh, Tottenham? Right. That's exactly <laughs> what I would have said. What are you said. talking about? That's exactly what I would have said. But, but like, it's, 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 it was really, there's or no crowd. It's just the not so Super Bowl, right? You, you, you can't even hype up a halftime show. Uh, However, though, it just didn't feel like Super Bowl Sunday. The stories in Blacksburg, well, I mean, Bruce Arians, a Super Bowl. Cody yeah. Graham was a great player, and uh, Nick Rapone. I mean, that's that's really cool to see the three of them get rings. And Bruce Arians did a heck of a job coaching this team with no OTAs, no off season, bringing in Tom Brady, bringing wow. in Gronkowski. I mean, I, th- I think Bruce Arians is getting a lot of love, and rightfully so, today for the job that he did bringing the Super Bowl to one of the all time worst franchises and winning percentage in NFL history. <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, I've known for many, many years that, that Bruce Arians is a good coach. I believe the year was 1989. Um, Tech and Temple played each other, and Tech had a pretty good team that year. And and Temple beat them handily. I think I, Temple had. Uh, no, I played, thought it, I thought it was 86. The year Tech uh, went to a bowl game. I thought one of their losses was to Temple. All right, time to go look this stuff up. But uh, um, and Temple had to forfeit it. I think eventually. Yeah, because right. of Paul Palmer. Right. Um, right. But I I I don't. Hmm. All right, somebody's got to chime in on the YouTube chat here because, yes. Anyway, uh, you know, Temple historically was a bad football program. And when Bruce Arians was coaching them, they were pretty decent. You know, it was shortly after that, be it, you know, mid-late 80s, they were they were competitive and a decent team. And Paul Palmer was a great player who was considered for the Heisman. Um. It was like literally three or four years later where they were one of the worst teams in college football for about 10 years. Uh, Yeah, 1986, his Temple team only went 6-5, and but they had to vacate some wins due to the presence of an ineligible player on the roster. And that's Paul Palmer. Right, so that was one of the – like Tech went – Went nine and two or something like that Tech year, went but, but nine two and one. But the official record is ten one and one. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, um, that was nineteen eighty six. All right. The, so, the year Tech so won. So while you Bowl. guys were talking, I'm going to look up and see if Tech played Temple later because it, it's it's funny how your mind switches he, stuff up he, after a good he was their years. he was their coach until nineteen eighty eight. That was his last year. Okay. So eighty nine is incorrect. But anyway. <laughs> Um, you know, Temple fell off the edge of the earth after he left, and it became apparent how bad of a football program they were. Evan, you don't know this stuff, but um, they were they were good enough recently enough. You know, Chris just said he left after the '88 season. They got invited to the Big East to play football with with Miami and West Virginia and, and Virginia Tech, and and they got into the league, and then they just fell off the end of the earth, and they were terrible. It was like 0-11 or 1-10 every year. Yeah, they, they were, mean, they were one Rutgers. of the worst teams in college football. 
And it got so bad that after a while, the Big East voted to kick them out of the league. Yeah. Now, they, they were only in the football conference, not the entire conference. But the Big East voted to kick them out, not because they were bad and because of their record, but they were not putting any money into football. And they couldn't get anybody to go to games. They were playing in, well, I guess they still do. 5,000 fans 5,000 fans in, in the old veteran stadium, yeah. and then they moved to the Eagles stadium, and nobody came to that either. And Yeah, and, and it was uh, so – they were just sitting there taking their checks from the Big East and not 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 trying at all. Right, and that's when John Chaney was at the height of his career at Temple, and they were a really good basketball team. Yeah. So Temple said, it's, "We're, we're going to put the money into basketball." It, it's like uh, when Spurrier left Duke. Did you know Duke won the ACC in football in like 1989? Was Steve, yeah, Steve Spurrier was their head coach? Did you even know Steve Spurrier was the head coach? I, I did not know right. that he was the head coach so, of Duke. So uh, UVA. I'll make fun of UVA here. UVA has one ACC championship, their entire ACC football championship, their entire history in the in the league, right? Yeah. And that came in 1989 when they when they tied Duke. They shared it with Duke. They shared it with Duke. Hmm. I, I believe both yeah. teams were six and one. I Interesting. Right. And and UVA was really good at that point in time. So that tells you how good of a coach Spurrier was. So anyway, to bring the conversation back around. It became apparent how good of a coach Bruce Arians was when when he he propped up what turned out to be an yeah. awful program. Yeah. So well, uh, someone's putting in the chat, and I had it planned as well. Uh, if you watched the Super Bowl, Chris, you would have heard Tom Brady yell to Bruce Arians, "Hokey!" in the middle of the game. Oh yeah. And right before halftime, it was I don't know if it was a play call or an all, but Brady standing there yelling, "Hokey!" I think so, it was "Hokey five He was yelling or something like I, that. I think uh, it was. Uh, it's funny what you can hear these days with no. No crowd. Yeah, they were they were like one quarter capacity there. Yeah, they had I think seventy five hundred vaccinated healthcare workers. So actually, it looked like there were a lot of people there because there were some cardboard they had cutouts. The cutouts. Yeah, um, but um, anyways, but uh, you know, again, um, that's Bruce Arians, it's Cody Graham, and that's Nick Rapone, who are all Super Bowl champions and former Hokies. Um, I think it's fair to say Tom Brady has ice in his veins and clutch moments in his career, and as we transition from the Super Bowl. There are a couple of Virginia Tech athletes this weekend who showed they have ice in their veins. I think that's fair to say, Will, right? Now, see, if we had a super high-value production, we'd be playing Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice right now. Um, what a weekend for Virginia Tech athletics. And the headline of the past week for Virginia Tech sports, not Virginia Tech men's basketball or women's basketball, not football, the headline for Virginia Tech athletics this week, number eight Virginia Tech wrestling, knocking off number three, North Carolina State, to win the ACC Dual Team Championship and win it in dramatic fashion. Yeah. Well, before we get into the details, for those that don't follow wrestling as closely, but they want to hear this segment because they heard about just how unbelievable this duel was on Friday, put it into perspective for those that don't watch wrestling. What happened on Friday? How can you sum it up? I would say the best thing to do is go read my recap of it because I spent, it's funny, it, when it was over, I thought, uh-oh, that's like the best wrestling meet you'll ever see, and I have to capture this. Mm -hmm. I have to I have to explain this and and encompass everything that went on. So I, I related it to, uh, you know, imagine imagine a, not just a Hail Mary in football, but a 60-yard Hail Mary. Imagine a three-quarter court buzzer-beating shot, not a three-pointer, but a guy 
not even Sean Dockery. That was that was less than half court. That was about forty feet. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking seventy feet from the basket. You throw a three pointer in. Um, it was like that. And then in the next paragraph, I said something like that: ten weight classes, seven minutes per weight class, seventy minutes of wrestling, and it was decided in the last second, really. And and Virginia Tech needed four points and got them in the last four seconds. So the takedown, I watched this multiple times. The, the take, Latona's takedown occurred with about four seconds left to go. And he rolled the NC State wrestler sort of onto his back. I think the rule is a 45-degree angle. So you get two points for the takedown. He got him over on his back a little bit. And then you got like a one-two count. He literally got the back points that won the entire meet as time expired. So let me for uh, you know because Chris, I don't. Did you get a chance to see the replay, Chris? Of no, the but final I, 30 I do seconds? have a comment though. After, after the unsung hero is um, oh goodness, who's the kid who wrestled hurt? John Borst. 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 Okay. okay. Yeah, we'll get, so, we'll get so, it. In so, there. so explain like if he, if he had if a medical forfeit would have been six points to NC State, right? right Instead, right. since he wrestled, even though he lost, it was only three points to NC State. Correct. So he wrestled hurt, and if he hadn't wrestled hurt, Tech would have lost. So to for those that uh, – a little bit of backstory. North Carolina State, Virginia Tech, the top two teams in the ACC, and have really put themselves on the map as two of the premier wrestling uh, programs in the entire country. Right. And there's been some great battles back and forth over the years between Virginia Tech and North Carolina State. The Wolfpack – have not lost a duel since 2017. Uh, Virginia Tech tends to outperform them uh, at the national level, but North Carolina State it historically has been a really good dual team. team yeah. So they're ranked third in the country. Virginia Tech's ranked eighth in the country. They're both unbeaten, and there's some really good wrestling early. Uh, there's a bonus point win by uh, Corbin Myers, who's wrestling his tail off right now, Will. That kind of set the tone. But really where the match got interesting, it's in Castle Coliseum. There's two weight classes left. The score is tied 13-13. to 13. And we'll piece it together. We go heavyweight, right. where John Borst is ranked. He's wrestling another ranked wrestler. And I was there in Castle, and he drops back on the mat, Will, and he is screaming in pain down yeah. on the mat. And as Will, as Chris said... If he forfeited, it's six automatic points to the other meet, other team, NC State, which means Sam Latone at 125 would have had to have pinned his wrestler to tie the team score, which is highly unlikely. So before we get to Latona, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about him, the guts and the strength of John Borst can't be overlooked well. Yeah. So, so for non-wrestling fans, when you win a weight class, you get three team points. If you win by 8 to 14 points within your weight class. It's four team points. It's called a major decision. 15 plus is a tech fall, which is five team points. And then, like you said, you have to actually pin a guy to get six points. So going into that heavyweight weight class, it's 13-13. You've gone through eight of the 10 weight classes. And it was, I think there was a minute left to go in the first period when Borst got hurt. So so he and I don't know the wrestling term for it, but he and the other heavyweight are just kind of, you know, where the two guys are kind of head to head and they've got their arms on each other. And I watched the replay and, and the NC State wrestler pushed Borst's arm. It wasn't anything dirty or anything. Like that. He, just, he just pushed it in from the elbow. And then at some point, Borst just recoiled and, and walked away and collapsed. And like you said, was just screaming in pain. So you got a minute left to go in the first period. 
And then you have the second period, which is two minutes, and the third period, which is two minutes. So, and they put a clock there. Are, the 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 injury timeout has a clock on it. So you got to make the decision at some point, go or no go. If the clock runs out on you, it becomes a forfeit. So it just it looked really really grim. And then Borst, I couldn't believe when he went back in and started wrestling again. And I watched him the rest the rest of the uh, the match. He used that arm. You know, he didn't shy away from it. Uh, he he wasn't like you watch a basketball player who's hurt and they'll they'll favor a leg. Right. Um, I didn't really see that. And we haven't heard anything since then about the extent of his injury or whatever. But it looked it looked really bad. It but, did. He hung, but he hung in there. He lost, but it wasn't even a major decision. He lost, and that gave NC State three team points, and that made a 16-13. So we go to 125, where North Carolina State, Chris, has the fourth-ranked unbeaten wrestler at 125, Jacob Camacho. Well, I'm guessing he's been beaten now. And he has been beaten now. <laughs> now, Camacho, and, is he a senior? No, I believe he's a sophomore. Okay. He's young. All right, so. He won an ACC championship last year as a freshman. Not 100% sure, but I believe that's that's true. And Latona is a redshirt red freshman. Redshirt freshman. Right. So he wrestled last year unattached, did not wrestle for Tech. Latona's ranked eighth in the country, unbeaten. Virginia Tech's down 16-13. Now, here's where things get interesting, folks, is that if you're tied in the team score at the end of 10 weight classes, the entire duel goes to what's called criteria. And there's which, different which the rest levels of, the world calls of tiebreakers. Or tiebreakers, <laughs> and so it, it, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like who had the more major decisions or the tech falls. Essentially, it goes down to criteria C, which is who had the total number of points in the duel. So everything together, if it's a ten-six decision, you're adding it all up. And Tony Roby goes over the scores table before Latona wrestles, and is like, what What does he need to do? You can see Latona. He goes, he needs to win by a decision, and he needs to win by three points. So Virginia Tech or would have more. the more overall points in the entire duel to win off of criteria. So, right. a decision so, so let, me, would, let me jump in here and say going into that, NC State was up 44 to 42. Correct. Team points were 16-13 NC State, but the individual points all totaled up were 44 to 42. So that's where you get the the information that Latona has to win by three or more. So Camacho's wrestling really well. Latona doesn't have a ton of offense in the first two periods. You can tell that Camacho is a very, very sound defensive wrestler. And all he had to do was not lose. And all he did so so Chris Coleman, there's ten seconds left in the third period. Yeah. And he's up four two. All he's got to do is ten seconds, hold off Latona like he's done the entire duel. All entire match. No, wait a minute. It was four three, right? You're right. He got the, correct. I'm sorry. Four three. I believe there was a there was a point early in the third period. Four three. Ten seconds left. Latona takes him down five four, and then with literally like one point five seconds left, official gets down on the mat, starts giving the swipes, and he gets two swipe that second swipe as the buzzer sounds. Yeah. And if it weren't for that second swipe. We would have gone to another division of criteria. <laughs> so it was a true takedown buzzer beater, two near fall points. Did they have and to look at a replay to see if the second swipe came? No, they didn't the look at that, but they did have to go to the scores table. Nobody knew because they had to add up all the points. Right. And so it was, well, a true, let's call it a three-fourths of a shot on the hardwood, but down two, and the shot wins you an ACC championship against your rival. Yeah. So um, wrestling, college wrestling teams are ranked on, on – they really have two rankings. One of them is your dual meet ranking, mm-hmm. how, how, how good of a team are you when, you, when you're 
in a dual meet, and then there's a tournament ranking. When you get thrown into a large bracket with a bunch of other teams, like happens at your conference tournament or the NCAA tournament, then how are you going to do in that? And as you pointed out earlier on, NC NC State's a very good dual meet team. They're ranked number three, I I think, and um, that doesn't necessarily translate into, you know, the NCAA. Um, So uh, lost my train of thought. um, Did you say the NC State's wrestlers? name was Cam- uh, Camacho? Jacob Camacho. Camacho. You remember the boxer Macho Camacho? Macho Camacho. Sometimes your name just lends itself to a fantastic nickname. Right. But I, I, I remember when I was a kid, I worked in a tobacco barn back in <laughs> Pennsylvania County. So we had a lot of m- migrant workers from Mexico, and they could not speak English, but they would run around talking about Macho Camacho all the time. They would put their fists up and be like, Macho Camacho. <laughs> That's a great name. But anyways, for those that aren't uh, diehard wrestling fans, to put this into perspective, that was as crazy as the six overtime football game against North Carolina. I, to think, be totally, that's a, I think that's a good comparison. I, I mean, it, it was that nuts, and you have to watch the replay. Will we quoted it at Tech sideline, and I'll show it to Chris in between the break. But the commentary from Rock Harrison, who I believe is a former 125 wrestler to begin with, he was a, yeah. ch- a champion at UVA, and he's on commentary, and just the the reaction to everything on social media was just so warranted because it was the duel of the year. It might have been the duel of the decade. Yeah, so, that so, so what's that going to do to Tech in the rankings? They were sixth, right? Eighth. It, they were they eighth. were eighth, and NC State was third. third. And Virginia Tech should be the highest ranked team from the eight. They should jump. Yeah. I would think Tech's going to be top five. That is my personal prediction. So, so let's get into the announcer thing. Um, lately, I've seen more sporting events where the announcers are actually there, but they were not there. Correct. Um, Friday night, they had your play-by-play guy was in his basement, and Rock Harrison was in his basement. And Rock is, uh, I, I think, as an announcer, he is average. as As a person with enthusiasm for the sport, he is a ten out of ten. And I felt like listening to him the whole time that he wanted to yell the entire time, but he was restraining not not just at the end, but the entire ten weight classes. You could tell he loved the sport. And he was like restraining himself so he wouldn't scare the dog or something like that. <laughs> and um, they even did a, did an unusual thing. They they put a, a rock cam in his basement and and ran some clips of him. He's he's just sitting there like the rest of us watching this thing on TV. Right. But he's doing the whole you know bobbing and weaving and ducking and and, and things like that. And and so when it got down to the end. Um, you know, it, it, and I know that Bill Roth would appreciate this, and Evan, you'll appreciate this. It, it was a it was a tricky thing because in that last ten seconds, the play by play guy said, "You know, Macho gets gets his head free. Camacho gets his head free, and then in the last seven seconds was when Latona took the shot, got the leg, picked him up, and so Rock Harrison starts starts just yelling." Look at the shot! Look at the shot! And the play-by-play guy went quiet. Yep, did and a let great Har- job. Let Harrison take it. Yep, you know, and 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 I that that's just that's that's all in the play-by-play guy. Harrison can't restrain himself. Correct. Rock Rock is losing it. And so the play-by-play guy is like, okay, I'll just I'll just let him take it. And so as as he gets uh, as Latona gets uh, Camacho on the ground, um, Harrison just Rock just starts yelling. 
do we have two? Do we have two? And then the ref holds his hands up and he, and he just starts screaming, two, 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 as time expires. It really is a great clip. Even yeah. if you're not a big wrestling fan, you've got to go see this clip and the commentary. And it yeah. was, uh, and again, it's one of those moments where you think about what's, and David Teal tweeted this thing about the last eight day window of women's hoops beats second right NC State. Gene Tech men's basketball beats eighth ranked UVA, and then that at home. I mean, that those are just moments you say, "Gosh, people deserve to be in Castle to see." You wish that they could, of course, they can't. But those are moments you're like, "Gosh, that would have just been a rocking atmosphere." With, I mean, that place, the roof would have come off of Castle if so, there were two so or three thousand people. To tie it all together, these same two teams met in Castle two years ago with the dual championship on the line, and it came down to criteria, and Virginia Tech lost. Also 17 to 16, I think, was the final. And I looked it up, and there were um, 4,200 fans in Castle that day, mm. that that probably evening. Which, by comparison, that's uh, that's more people than they got for men's basketball games back in the Ricky Stokes era. So right. interesting you bring that up, because I went to all those games in the Ricky Stokes era, and I remember looking at the attendance numbers afterwards and coming to the conclusion that, that Castle – once you get above 3,000 to 3,500 fans, mm-hmm. gets loud. Mm-hmm. So all you need is 4,000 fans. So anyway, there's about 4,200 fans two years ago. And this was, and we talked about this on the message board. This was before Makai Lewis's national championship. Correct. He won his national championship a few weeks later, which Virginia Tech fans, most your average Virginia Tech fan hadn't paid any attention to wrestling until Makai won his national championship. You've had the advent of the ACC network, which started August of that year and started running dual meets on Friday nights on the linear network. So two years ago, before this visibility came to Virginia Tech Wrestling, as it was building up, they had 4,200 fans. Now, that's not the record. They had 5,000 fans for a meet against Penn State in 2015. Mm. So the reason I tell that whole story is – I don't know if they'll have a good home meet next year, you know, but maybe it'll have to be NC State a couple of years from now. But I think they'll break that attendance record within the next couple of years because of the attention that has come to Virginia Tech wrestling. And to add to that point, so I'm sitting there and I'm watching my television, I'm doing my spreadsheet, and I'm on the boards and stuff, and it ends, and all of a sudden the boards are really busy. At 10.15 on a Friday night after a wrestling meet, and I, I was like, what the heck? And I go over and I pull up the analytics. And after a, right after a football game, when everybody's done watching and they pile into the message boards, you will have anywhere from 900 to 1,500 people on the entire board system. After a basketball game, you'll get six to 800 if they beat Duke or something like that. And there, there were 450 people that piled into the site that night after after wrestling ended. That's a lot. Um, during the day, during the workday, our traffic runs about 200 to 250 people at any given time. So to get 450 people, that's to, that's a moment I'll never forget where I'm like, oh, a lot of people watch this. And maybe not even a lot of people knew what they were looking at, but they get <laughs> that. Right. So... I think in terms of fan interest, this was this was maybe as important as Makai Lewis's national championship. Um, probably not quite. I think the two of them will go hand in hand to to really increase interest. Oh. And and so to get to the sponsor plug, Southeast Regional Training Center, um, 
we had a number of people come onto the message board and say, oh, I was just so fired up. I just donated to the Southeast Regional Training Center for the first time. Right. So, And, you know, there's in every program for every sport, when a program rises, you can look back with hindsight and point to the moments that cost its growth. Yeah. So for like the football program, you go back and you look at the 95 Miami game, you look at the Sugar Bowl, and then you look at the 99 season as a whole as the three things that propel the football program mm-hmm. to new heights. And so for wrestling so, so far, we've got Makai Lewis winning a national championship and then this game. And 10 years from now, if Tech has won a national championship or is you know, a perennial top three team or, or something like that, we can look back to those yeah. individual moments as big growth moments of, of the program. Yep. And not only as from a competitive standpoint, but from a fan interest standpoint. Now, well, one of the things wrestling struggles with is that its premier event, its national championship, occurs historically on the same weekend as the first weekend of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Yep. And so that, that's, that, that they need to change that, honestly. If they, if they want growth in the sport, they need to change that because uh, it just doesn't make any sense to go head to head with the NCAA tournament. And I know every school has a different has spring break as a different week and everything yeah. like that. But they need to push everything. I would push back it up week. one week. Uh, not well up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Earlier, uh, yeah. earlier. Because yes, you get, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you never know. The Masters typically follows after the NCAA tournament too. So yeah, I think you do it the week before. I mean, right. So it's something to think about. Yeah. yeah. If they well, want, if they, if well, you know, and even a week earlier, you're dealing with conference tournaments, right? Uh, yeah, it's good. Ads. So, so it's it's tough. And they they've got their conference conference right. as well, ACC championships. So. Correct. So um, yeah. And hey, real real quick, hey, think about the moment this year in Virginia Tech athletics, and maybe I'm not thinking hard. It just popped in my head, but to me, Sam Latona, that was the most clutch moment of the year thus far for Virginia Tech athletics, and I'm trying to run through all of the sports right now. I'm not talking about in-game, in-match, takedown, near fall, needing four points with under five seconds to win an ACC championship, redshirt freshman. I think that might be arguably the moment of the year thus far for for Tech. I mean, individual moment. I know you can argue Villanova winning basketball, UVA, that's team. I'm talking individual performance. I think Latona's right up there. So he certainly etched his name into a little bit of a – of hokey wrestling history on yeah. Friday. So from one clutch performance, you know, uh, Chris, he got up and he started pointing to his uh, his wrist, ice in my vein, you know. And uh, Hunter Couture had some ice in his veins on Saturday in Coral Gables. We transitioned from the wrestling mat to the hardwood. Virginia Tech had to find a way to bounce back from a uh, – from a tough loss that we talked about earlier, we don't need to get into it, but a, um, a loss at Pittsburgh on Wednesday. Um, Virginia Tech historically under Mike Young, uh, you know, and going back to his time at Wofford, they don't really lose back-to-back that often. They, they haven't. They uh, haven't, they haven't, haven't lost back-to-back all year. <laughs> and they were 2.9 seconds away from losing back-to-back games. Uh, but 2.4. 2.4, excuse yeah. me. And uh, let, let's pick it up right there with the headline. We can talk about the, the second half and what Virginia Tech needed to do, but let's talk about the play. Uh, big time three from from Wong of Miami to put the Hurricanes up by three. You're shaking your head, Will. I think everybody was shaking their head at that moment. But the resilience of this Tech group, right, with with Jalen Cohn out and all the you know, and no Tyrese Radford, no Pemsel, no Jada, everything they've dealt with, they're they're shorthanded. 
the play call that Mike Young drew up and Couture hitting the three. Take me through what you saw in that play. What and I just saw, how what clutch. I heard. How about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I what and I'm sure you've seen the replay. <laughs> I've just, seen the replay, yeah. Uh, we, right. we talked about the Louisville game, right? You've been saying it, Will. Couture is going to make I, one of those shots. Right. And, he, and he did it. L- listening on the radio, it wasn't clear where he took the shot from. Right. I just knew we inbounded from around half. I know half court. Te- originally, like Tech had to inbound from under under their under the basket, and they threw it to half court, and it got knocked out of bounds. And Laser on the radio said he thought Tech knocked the ball out of bounds at half court, and it went to review, and they said Miami knocked it out. So then Tech got the inbound from mid court, and then uh, then Tech hit the three, but like I didn't know where he hit the three from. I didn't know if it was the corner or if, they, or if it was a 30-footer from the top of the key or whatever. Right, you right. don't know. And then I watched the replay, and everything, you know, great play drawn up. Um, the pass is what nobody's talking about. Right. That's a pass from half court to a guy cutting in from, from the baseline. And you've got – and for him to be able to get that shot off – in that short amount of time, at least he didn't catch it and shoot it. He caught it and then took a step over. And the pass has to be perfect. It has to hit you right in the hands, you know, middle midsection of your body in stride uh, for you to be able to get that shot off cleanly. So who made the pass? Beatty made the pass. Beatty made the pass. Yeah. So everything about the play was perfect from, from the X's and O's to the pass to the shot. It was as well executed play as you could pop possibly hope for. Defensively, Miami did not switch well. The defenders stumbled, you know, so uh but but to go back to the the inbounds from the other end of the court, 2.4 seconds left, you know, in women's basketball, women's college basketball, if you call a timeout and the NBA also, mm-hmm. you inbound it from basically your half of the of the court. Not that way in men's basketball, so to be able to go from 2.4 seconds and, and 94 feet and, mm-hmm. and get off a, a clean, uncontested three-pointer, you know, that that's rare. Normally you're looking at a half-court shot at best there. Right, yeah. and, and Miami chose, if I remember correctly, Miami chose not to defend the inbounds pass. At Bam, least, Bamisil, right. Joe Bamisil was throwing it in. And Joe also, you know, since, since Wong had made the three-pointer, um, uh, Bamisil could have run the baseline. But he didn't. He he stood in place, threw it, and and that that was such a critical part of everything because the clock went from two point four to two point one. Still, plenty of time to get the playoff. Yeah. Um. It was it was a clutch shot, and it made me think back. I'm curious if anybody else thought this. That shot and really the the design of it out of the timeout reminded me of the three that Nolly hit against Michigan State. And the Maui term out of a timeout. Right. The screen. Now that was in the corner. Nolly came from the other direction. I think he came from the top of the key. It yeah. just reminded me though, but I believe Couture started, Will, if you watch it, like towards the top of the key or the right wing, and he ran the baseline mm-hmm. and he got the screen. Point being, I'm not saying it's a similar type play. It's a similar type design yeah. from Mike Young. Mm-hmm. Under a, a minute left in a tight yeah. game timeout to use a screen and to get a shooter open. Just I saw a little bit of parallels to that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. I would um, agree. So Couture with the big shot that got the game to overtime. Let's talk about the game as a whole. 80-76 to 76 the final score. Hokies win it in overtime. They bounce back from an 83-72 loss from Pittsburgh. Chris, <laughs> what was the biggest difference from the Pitt game to the Miami game? Technic. How were they able to win that game? 
It's going to sound – I know nothing about basketball from an X's and O's standpoint, but they missed so many open shots against Pitt, especially early in that game. Yeah. Like we were watching that game at PKs, and Will was saying, man – and if we make some shots, we'd be running them out of here. And I'm like, well, if Pitt could make some shots, they'd be running us out of, out of here. here. Right, right? And they so, did the second And half. eventually they started making theirs and we didn't. Uh, I think Tech made shots early in this game, and, the, and that was that was a difference. Um, I th- There was a point in the second half when Tech took, what, like a 10 or 11-point 11, 11 lead? and 59 to 48 with about eight minutes. Yeah, and I thought go. it was over at that point. Yeah. Um, in fact, I almost jinxed Tech. I, I almost went to Twitter and put my 2-0 and radio record tweet up <laughs> at that point, and I decided not to. Good call. Good call. Good call. <laughs> because in Miami immediately. Miami scored 10 points in a minute and a half. And basically with the clock stop because they kept getting and ones. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever listened to a game where there were so many and ones before by one team. That was, and, and that was I crazy. Think, I think Tech fouled two three-point shooters. Mm-hmm. In in maybe not in that stretch, but right around that same time frame, and and some, I think I don't. I've never played basketball, so I don't know this for a fact. But I, I imagine like defending a three point shot is more difficult than than you would think because these days shooters have a little technique where they kick their leg out, and it'll. They basically intentionally trip themselves up to get it to get a foul called there. Jalen Cohn was called for a foul for he doing sure was that. for doing that, and, and they you, said it's a point of emphasis. R- this right, year. it's the only time I've seen it called, so it <laughs> must not be too much of a point of emphasis. <laughs> but uh, I so on that last three pointer by Wong, you know he hit that over Aluma. Yeah. And you could see, like, Aluma didn't jump and he didn't close him out. He put his hand up and kind of reached out, but you could tell he was scared to close him out because he, he was didn't. afraid of fouling him and, and giving Miami three free shots right, right, at, right at the end of the game. So Tech did not exactly guard him close on that simply because I think at that point they were a little gun shy. Yeah, Brian Oliver was a former Georgia Tech player was doing uh, who Tech ana- recruited heavily if you oh. recall. Yeah. He was doing analysis and, and he, he commented on that when showing the replay. He said Aluma's trying to guard without fouling. Mm-hmm. You know? And honestly Wong was like five to seven feet behind the three point that line. That dude is a if that, the guy if the guy makes the shot, you know think about Miami, man. I, I know they've had some guys hurt, but even with the guys they have on the team, I don't know how they've only won three ACC games. They have individual talent on yeah, that team, man. Yeah. They have they even even with those players hurt, they've got some darn good individual talent. So something I didn't think of till too late last night to do the analysis is going down Miami's recruiting classes and they recruit very well yeah. in basketball. I, they should recruit well in every sport. I know. Quite frankly, never mind. I mean, where they just where they are. Like, I don't know that if like if we had a fantasy draft of, of ACC players tomorrow, if this was like a, a a video game and all the rosters were empty. And I had the number one pick in the draft. I don't know that I wouldn't pick Isaiah Wong. At least the way he plays against Virginia Tech. I, I don't know <laughs> yeah, what he, he does against everybody he's else. He's really good, man. He, he yeah. just he just has this look about him when he plays Virginia Tech. <laughs> um, the leading scorer for Virginia Tech in the win, Justin Mutz, 22 points, two steals, seven assists, nine, nine rebounds, rebounds, three of five from the charity stripe, nine of 14 from the field, and 39 minutes. Chris, the, how – how surprising – are you more surprised that Keve Aluma has been as good as he's been this year 
or that Justin Mutz has been able to be as effective as he's been in ACC play. You know, uh, back this past summer, there was a point where I thought Luma was going to be Tech's starting power forward, and uh, Cordell Pimsel or Johnny Ojiaco would be their starting center. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know, like, it's hard to, like, look at a guy like Mutz I didn't know what to expect. Like, I know he was a good player at High Point. I know he was a good player at Delaware. Um, but he was jumping up a level to the ACC, and he was doing so without sitting out a year to learn a brand-new offensive system. So I, I didn't know that he – it's an impressive job by him that he's been able to not only take a step up in competition and learn a brand-new system in, in a short amount of time and be this effective. Um so in a way, I'm actually more surprised by him than Aluma because Aluma did get to sit out a year to adjust to the competition True. level, and he already knew Mike Young's system because he had played in it for two years at Wofford. True. So, yes, Kev, what Kevin Aluma has done has been very impressive. You could argue that what, what Mutz has done has been more impressive because of those things. And, and, and he's, a, he's a little small. Like, what is he, 6'7"? These days, I he's guess that's not – He's listed at 6'7". Right. These days, I guess that's not too small for, for a power forward. But, you know, he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's good enough. He's good enough to keep you honest. And, and I think over the course of the last few weeks, we've seen him learn – what's a good shot and what isn't for, from the outside. And, and the other thing you have seen is the, the chemistry between him and Aluma. <laughs> there, um, there just aren't that many front courts as good as Virginia Tech's. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering. Uh, I, I think P.J. Horn and Kerry Blackshear at, at one point had it going. You know, they're just the, the interior passing. Uh, unless I'm getting my players mixed up, it may have been Blackshear and Lede that I'm thinking about. Yeah. And you're starting to see some of that between seven, seven assists yeah. for, for, uh, for Mutz. And I believe Aluma had five assists the game before that. Aluma. So I keep, I keep a running, uh, uh, column in, in, in our, in our schedule of the assist leader. And, and Aluma is regularly up there. And I think, did, did he have another five on Saturday? He had Mutz had seven assists right. on Saturday, and he had five against Pittsburgh. Right. Okay. So, so we'll we'll, we'll now, now how, how many now how many did Aluma have? On? I'm sorry, Aluma had five assists on Saturday. Okay, so Tech's front starting front court combined 12, for 12, 12 assists. assists. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mutz didn't had no assists against Pittsburgh. I read Aluma had five against Pittsburgh, and then he had um, uh, five. So he had ten. In the last wow. two, games, two games, and then Mutz had seven. So right, right. So and in this one game, the front court combined for twelve assists. So do you do you remember the play where he uh, threw to Bamisil for the dunk? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and there there was another one where well, there was actually another. Oh, the one I'm thinking about is actually where Bamisil fed Gasan on the inside. Oh, and Gasan yeah. scored. <laughs> I, I didn't see that until obviously I watched the 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 uh, the highlights afterwards. But Laser and Burnup were like. How in the world did he how get that he pass there? How did he catch that ball? Uh, I don't know how he got it in there. I don't know how Gasson was even expecting it to catch it. Yeah. Um. So, again, I think it's fair to say Mutt's best game as a Hokie, right? Yeah. 22-9-7, nearly a triple-double. He was terrific. I do want to recognize the comment real quick uh, that Justin Thomas says, uh, Couture got the massive charge call in overtime. Just want to make sure you, <laughs> you have that moment, Will, to agree with Justin. Uh, that was a big-time play. Um, let's talk about Joe Bamasil for a minute, though, yeah. because Virginia Tech, guys, kind of – we talked at the beginning of the year about the depth of this team, right? Mm. But they've been a little shorthanded as of late, right? Like, Ojiako has you know, battled injury early in the year. No Cordell Pemsel since December 29th. Cone gets injured. 
course, Tyrese Radford's out. We'll get to that in just a moment. But what an opportunity for Joe Bamaseal in, um, let's see, how many total minutes? Bamaseal. 22, I think. 25 minutes. 5 of 10 from the field, 11 points, 2 rebounds, and 2 assists. How impressed were you with the freshman, Will? He looked – he didn't just put up those numbers. He looked really good doing it. He is so quick and and so fluid. You know, that that that's the first time we've really been able to see him in prolonged action against good competition, and it's very encouraging. The ceiling is high for that guy. Just scratching the surface, man. And, you know, I realized he didn't play his senior year of high school. Yeah. With, with an injury. I didn't realize he also missed his sophomore year of high school with an yeah. injury. So basically, this guy, this is only like his second year of organized basketball in the last four years. He, he is quick so he and is raw. smooth, and there's a lot of potential there. The dude and, is raw. You know, and, and so be patient. <laughs> well, yes, he's not going to do this every time out, yeah. you know. Right. But, but of course, the, uh, the, the play where he stole the ball down at Miami's end and stumbled, bumbled, and fumbled all the way down <laughs> to the other end for the layup. <laughs> I watched that that play a couple of times, and um, you know it's it was a really smart play to come around, steal the ball. Then he gets kind of hip checked a little bit at half court, and he and he's barely controlling the ball. But at the very end, a Miami player cuts in front of him, and and what's subtle is the way he grabs the ball, pulls it back very quickly to avoid the defender, and then explodes to the basket and lays it in. Just a really athletic play and really smooth. Yeah. Um... It didn't come across on the radio that that was that play was as wild as it, as it was. Oh, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's it, it kind of reminded you of one of those plays where like a a running back keeps getting hit, but the defenders are bouncing off of him, and he's just leaning over trying to keep his balance mm-hmm. and everything like that. Oh, I can uh, hear Chris Berman go rumbling, stumbling. Ex- exactly. Yeah, that that that's basically what Bamasil was doing. But yeah, good performance, man. And I, that that guy has an extremely high ceiling. But I mean, again, you have to take into account that. He didn't play two of his last three years in high school, yeah. and now he's in the ACC for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the light's not going to go on overnight, but long-term ceiling is higher than, than high. it, probably anybody else's in the program. Well, they might need Bama Seal on Saturday. We'll talk about the schedule in just a moment. Here's a tweet from Norm Wood on the timeline. He says, quote, Hokies coach Mike Young is speaking to reporters on the weekly ACC men's basketball coaches video conference. He says Jalen Cohn's status for Saturday's game against Louisville, if there's a game against Louisville, is day-to-day. Not sure if Cone ankle injury will be ready to go, close yeah. quote. That's, so, well, it'd be in, yes, sir. we're going to need as many players as we could. And maybe Tyrese Radford is back on Saturday. We hear it's, that's it's, a, look, it's looking that, that way. That, that's a possibility. But can we go ahead and transition in, into this? Let me read this. Okay, talk about Radford. Sorry. No, no I was, was going to talk about how the, I don't think they're going to play Louisville. Let's talk about the schedule, <laughs> and then we'll talk about Radford. Okay. Like Chris Mack, the Louisville head coach, tested positive for COVID last night. And to me, I think that throws the game into doubt, doesn't it? Yeah, they've already postponed their Wednesday game, but they haven't said anything yet about the Saturday so, game against They're them. on a three-game hiatus right now, the Cardinals. But the final game of that three-game postponement is Wednesday. So their first game back is supposed to be Virginia Tech on Saturday. Keep in mind, Hokies had their game against top 20 ranked Florida State on Tuesday yeah, already uh, right. postponed right. due to so, COVID right. in Florida State's program. So if Tech doesn't, if the Louisville game gets postponed, let's go ahead and say canceled. Okay. If it doesn't, if it gets canceled, 
That that would be the third home game for Tech that got canceled this year, and only one road game was Boston canceled. College, Florida State, and then and, Louisville. And, right. and the road game canceled was UVA. Was UVA, and it would also mean with these with two home games canceled this week that we're in the middle of a stretch of seven of eight road games, and it means we wouldn't play for ten total days, and we come back, and the next two games are at Florida or at UNC and at Florida State. Uh. I mean that that's that that's horrible, horrible, horrible. Like if Mike Ro- if Mike Young walked into this room right now, I, I would I would say, Mike, what exactly if you were on a conference call with the with the NSA selection committee and we were in a stretch of seven of eight road games and we lost three home games but just one road game, well what would you tell the NSA tournament selection committee? Or what would you ask them? Yeah. Are they gonna take things like that into account on selection Sunday? Because it kind of seems like they should this well, year, right? Well, I, I think the the net takes it into account. So how hard do they lean on the net? Right. Uh, well, I, I know this. Well, I wish Tech had. I wish we were using the RPI this year because Tech would be twenty third in the RPI right now. Is they're, that right? You they're, looked they're, it up. They're thirty fifth in the net. Yeah, that's what I saw this morning. Um, because you know our RP, RPI is so influenced by road road games. Right, so when you beat Miami on the road, you get a big, big bonus yeah. for that, basically. I, th- I think the RPI was like a road game counted as 1.4 wins or something Sounds like that, right. right? And a home loss counted as 1.4 losses. So right now, Tech has only lost one, excuse me, uh, one home game, but they have two neutral site wins, which count as one win. Mm-hmm. And and what three road wins now, which count as one point four each. I know they've won so, three of their last five road right, games. Right, right. So so uh, yeah, three total then. Uh, so yeah, th- things are things are in Tech's favor as far as the RPI goes, <laughs> uh, but not so much in, in other things. Uh, but I I hate unbalanced scheduling, and it's something I have to deal with as, the, as these conferences have grown grown through the years because I don't think. We all know who the best like football team is in the ACC. It's Clemson. But let's pretend we live in a fantasy world right now and say that all ACC teams were equal. How could you crown a true conference champion with a with with an unbalanced schedule? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I despise college sports from the standpoint that the schedules are unbalanced. Well, now they're even more unbalanced this year. I mean, if Tech only ends up playing sixteen conference games, they could end up playing. Gosh, I guess just five home games. Oh, no, no, wow. no, 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 no. Uh, well, if three home games are canceled, yeah, right. Uh, am I doing that math? Help me, Will. I, I think I think the original schedule probably had ten home and ten. Oh, away. It, did, it did. It did. So okay, so we ended up playing. It'd be nine and seven. Right. Nine right. road, right. seven home. Yes. Right. So still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yep. So that's that's a minus two, and uh, so. I don't. I don't think any of these games are going to get made up. In my opinion, they they might try to. Uh, like Tony Bennett doesn't even sound like he's in favor of making up the the Tech UVA game, and that game is in would be in Charlottesville, be right? So, unless the ACC came in and and said, uh, if you don't replay the UVA game, we're gonna we're not going to invite you to the to the ACC tournament, or, or we're going to withhold ACC network revenue. If the ACC tried to make me play replay the UVA game, I'd be like, I'm not doing it. Because 
all you're giving me is an extra road game, and we're already down three home games. So right. then it would become ten road games and seven and home seven games. home games, yeah. right? Which is a three game imbalance. Yeah. Uh, so I would tell the ACC, unless okay, fine, I'll go play, I'll go play uh, UVA on the road, but I'm going to need two of those home games made up. I'm going to need two home games. And there's no room in the schedule. And there's no room in the schedule. Now, I did see something that. on Twitter, and I haven't confirmed this, but somebody was rumoring if Louisville were to get postponed the Saturday, maybe Pittsburgh could ah. come to Castle. I mean, but, we but, have, but, we but have... Why would Pittsburgh want to do that? Why, well, why, I... why, why would you? Why would you, as a coach, you want to get, you want to take on an extra road game that you were not originally scheduled to play? See, I wonder how much do, how much does a school have say in it, or is it the ACC saying, hey, ACC you're going to them. do this? Yeah. I wonder how much say the coaches in the administration have with the ACC I don't def- on. Um, I don't know. I think you got. You got oh, I don't. Points. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think because uh, women. But, 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 all right, Tech and UVA apparently were offered the chance to uh, to replay that game. Remember when Tech's game against Tech and UVA both had a Wednesday night game canceled, right? Yeah. And there was an opportunity to play the Tech UVA game in Charlottesville. And, and, you know, UVA also had a game on Saturday and they also had a game on Monday. Now, granted, these were all like home games for them, so it wouldn't have been any travel. But Tony Bennett didn't want to play the game because it was three games in five days, six days, six something days, like that. Yeah. Uh, so he declined. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. So, the, so yeah, you would have to – the only way I'd, I'd be in favor of replaying the UVA game now is uh, – is is if I could, you get guaranteed me some home games, which there's just no built-in time. Yeah, there's no and time. Coaches don't like surprises; they don't like to to change on the fly, so to speak. It's almost shocking that the, the like the Tech uh, Villanova game happened because it was yeah, it was so, a shotgun so scheduling yeah. like like like. And now four, it's the best win on Tech schedule. Right. And it probably will be the best win on Tech schedule. <laughs> right, right. For the rest so of the year. so yeah, look, it's a mess, um, and. I know people. Uh, there were some questions like this on the board last week, and even for the Q and A that that I decided not to answer answer because p- people are going to say, "Oh, how do we fix these? How do we how do we fix this? What, what does the ACC do to make up for this?" And you know, there's nothing you can do at this point because y- you could you could try to fix something for one team, and it's just going to break something for another team. I mean, it is what it is. This is one bad season for for everybody. Um, and I, I just don't see any way that yeah. I just think whatever games that 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 are are postponed, or you might as well just call them canceled at this point because I, I don't see how they get made up at all. So you're going to go into Tech's going to go into the ACC tournament maybe with only having played seven home games if the Louisville game gets canceled. Well, and, and yes, and what, meanwhile, Florida State. You know they canceled all their road games. They were right? they, they were quick to call off road games. Right. right. So <laughs> let's say Virginia Tech and, and Florida State. Let's say Florida State's resume on Selection Sunday is slightly better than Virginia Tech's. If I'm Mike Young, I'm getting a message to that NCAA tournament selection committee and saying, "Look, Florida State canceled three road games. We had three home games canceled, and we weren't the COVID issue for either for any of them." Do not punish us and put us a lower seed than Florida State because we had a huge, huge schedule imbalance this year. Hmm. Um, but, you know, if you take that into account for Virginia Tech, then you know, I'm sure there's some Big Ten team or SEC team or, or whatever. Like, I only know Virginia Tech's situation. I don't know other teams' situations right. in other leagues around the country. But uh, 
I think when the when the selection uh, selection Sunday gets here, I don't I don't know what I uh, I mean. Those people have a tough job every year, but this year it's a complete yeah. mess. All right, well, real quick, because we are over, we're already an hour in. We haven't even gotten to football yet. We've uh, just so much going on, Virginia Tech Athletics. I do want to quickly talk about um, the tweet that was uh, tweeted out before the game on Saturday against Miami, and that was Coach Mike Young giving an update on Tyrese Radford. I want to read the statement um, saying, quote, Tyrese Radford did travel with the team to Miami. However, he is still suspended from competition and will not suit up for today's, which was Saturday's game. Along with our athletics administration, we take this matter seriously. We do believe that Tyrese has demonstrated his remorse for his actions and has learned from the situation. We support Tyrese's efforts and will continue to assist him in getting him getting the help he needs along the way. We are committed to his growth and development as a person, a student athlete, and as a member of our basketball team. That hasn't changed. There is a path for Tyrese to return to competition this week. If he upholds the expectations necessary, we will continue to evaluate his situation. Close quote. Chris, what did you make of that statement, and are you surprised that Tyrese Radford might return this week for Virginia Tech? Yes. Um just about every indefinite suspension you see these days with Virginia Tech athletics results in a player never returning, quite mm-hmm. frankly. like I think that's fair. Whether it's Chris Clark or Chris Devin Clark. Hunter or whoever, um, whether it's football or, or basketball, those guys are done once they get indefinitely suspended, right? Yeah. So I, I thought he would definitely miss the rest of this year. And uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe Mike Young's got a magic touch. Well, on the court, this will certainly be a, a huge, huge help for Virginia Tech, yeah. correct? Even oh, with yeah. Cone being hurt. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think was, if this year has proven anything, it's you know the more players you have, the better. Because Tech has had Pimsel get hurt. They've had Cone get hurt. Ojiaco's been uh, hurt. Ojiaco's been hurt. Radford's been suspended. Uh, you know, three or four years ago, that would have been a disaster for that many players if, to if be out If you subtract four players from a uh, – Buzz Williams team or a Seth Greenberg team. You'd have like a six-man rotation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, you'd you'd have – Right. You'd have six guys playing 30-plus minutes, basically. Uh, and, you know, Tech's rotation is somewhat limited now, but, you know, when you have a full roster of 13 players and you can have a few th- bad things happen to you and still be able to win basketball And even if, even if Buzz had put together a roster of 13 players, he would have had two post guys. all right our feel-good stat going to break will texted me this last night and i wish we had more time to really dive into it but i do want to quickly touch on this before we go to break you were talking about the miami game how great tech was sharing the basketball yep you asked me to confirm a number on a stat and i i texted uh damian salas and he gave me a great piece of information about assists so virginia had 25 assists and their win against miami out of 30 buckets i so they they only made one bucket in overtime, right? Like one field goal. Uh, yeah. It was six points and two points in overtime. Okay, okay, yeah. So, uh, like, I know I I when I, that makes sense because I looked at the box score at one point during the game on my phone and saw that they had twenty five assists on twenty nine made shots. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the last shot by by Aline was not an assist. Yeah, because he but drove the, the uh, twenty five road assists were the most Virginia Tech has had in a game since joining the ACC. And now that follows up 19 assists on 30 baskets at uh, Pittsburgh. Um, so they have assisted on 44 of their last 60 baskets. And, you know, what is that without context? Uh, it, you know, it, it's hard to say. Um, so you and I were trading texts last night, Evan, and uh, let's see. Um, 
So you, and this is from Damian Salas, so 25 assists in a game, that's something like fifth or sixth all-time home or away. So I'll, I'll read it to you real quick. Uh, 36 against the Citadel, 30 against the Citadel, 29 against Delaware State, 28 against Central Connecticut State, uh, 26 against North Carolina A&T, 25 against Charleston Southern, 25 against Miami. What do you notice about those team names? All non-conference. Yeah, uh, all, South you know, and smaller schools teams, and yeah. things like that. Uh, so let's see. Let me see if I can find this stat in our text exchange. Um, so um, Virginia Tech, 44 out of the last 60. And prior to that, they had assisted on 210 out of 396 baskets. Just a little more than half, 53 54%. And it, that has vaulted to uh, 44 out of 60, which is almost 75%. Right. So when you and I were discussing this via text, I said that that um, spurs me to say some things about the, the tech offense. I'm not a basketball X's and O's guy, but I have found myself, particularly just the last couple of weeks, watching Virginia Tech on offense, and even in the games where they don't score much. I, 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 know, it, I know where it started. It started watching Tech play against UVA. And I remember in that game thinking to myself, Tech really moves the ball. They move the ball well. They move without the ball. The motion in the off offense is constant. It's something is starting to click. And the pack line defense usually makes you look silly and makes you chuck up a lot of <laughs> shots at the shot clock buzzer. Yeah. We, we didn't see that against UVA. And ever since then, I've been watching. And the movement without the ball and the ball yeah. movement, there's not a lot of dribbling. Pick a random Seth Greenberg game, not to pick on Seth because he was a good coach and a, and a very good defensive coach. Pick a random Seth Greenberg game and you see a lot of standing around and a lot of dribbling on the perimeter. And – I don't want to get too worked up and too excited, but they just look like they're ahead of schedule to me well, offensively. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think they're they're learning how to play within the system to a certain extent, and it's not a surprise that that wasn't one hundred percent clicking earlier in the season. Like like we've said, you know, Mutz had no experience playing in the yeah. system, and he was jumping up a level. You know, uh, Gasan's a freshman. Uh, You've had Hunter Couture have to switch back between two different roles several times this year. And, you know, let's not discount the fact that, like, he and Jalen Cohn and Naheem Aline, they're all only sophomores anyway. So you, you've got a, a large number of guys that, who, with the exception of Aluma, that the most experience any of them have in Mike Young's system is second year. Yeah. They, they, right. they, they, they've been in his system for a year and a half or a little over a year and a half at this point uh and for many of them they're playing together for the first time so the chemistry wasn't necessarily there um it could be that yes there's we're starting to see uh signs that the light has gone on for, from a system standpoint yeah, for yeah. those guys what a great show we're off to episode 166 of the tech sideline podcast hour and 12 minutes in and we still have some stuff to get through with football some signing, uh, some uh, coaching news for Virginia Tech football, plus your questions uh, on YouTube Live. We've got a couple of great people commenting in the chat right now. We still have a lot to get through, so we'll step aside for our break. When we come back, we talk about Virginia Tech football. Don't go anywhere. You're listening and watching episode 166 of the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center, Campus Emporium, and Anytime Fitness. 
Welcome back into episode 166 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Really is so great to have you with us. Evan Hughes alongside Chris Coleman and Will Stewart behind the scenes. The best podcast producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart. Tech Sideline Podcast presented by Anytime Fitness, the Southeast Regional Training Center, and Campus Emporium. They're proud to sponsor the Tech Sideline community. A portion of every sale is returned to Virginia Tech in support of its endowment for excellence, student programming, and need-based scholarships. We have been serving the Virginia Tech community for over 25 years from our locations in Blacksburg and our online store. Please visit the number one source for Virginia Tech merchandise at CampusEmporium.com or come see us at 207 North Main Street or 1337 South Main Street. We have a featured item for today's podcast. With that, here's Will Stewart. So I have uh, um, neglected to go by and pick it up, so I can't demonstrate it in the video, but I can tell you about it. It's on the website right now. Virginia Tech Niagara Striped Knit Scarf 2499. And it's got the it's uh, alternating orange and maroon stripes, of course, 100% acrylic. Uh, it's got the VT logo uh, embroidered on it. So I actually don't have a Virginia Tech scarf. So if you don't have one, this is your opportunity to get one. It is seven inches wide and 60 inches long. Is that normal for scarves to be five feet long? <laughs> that is a seriously long scarf. Yeah, they generally wrap. You can generally yeah. wrap one around and they'll go down to your waist. Yeah, I think that's probably normal. Yeah, so, so it's a good long scarf. Like I said, 100% acrylic, twenty four ninety nine. So check that out. The Virginia Tech Niagara Striped Knit Scarf. Damn. So random just got a text from Clark Rulin and Clark wants me to, and I, and I agree with him mentioned that uh, the Xfinity racing series is starting this Saturday. So NASCAR and Xfinity starts up and uh, our buddy Jeb Burton is uh, got a full-time ride now and Jeb will eventually wind up on the tech sideline podcast. You will see him on the tech sideline podcast and, and he and I texted about it and I said, listen, I want to have your beautiful wife on the podcast. You can come with her if you want to. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he he would like to actually come in and be in studio, and he thinks he might be able to fit that in, like uh, right before football season. That's starts. awesome. Best yeah. of luck to him. We'll certainly keep everybody updated on that. Yeah. Well, I was just putting in the chat as our founder and general manager. Would you mind looking at the camera and telling our lovely viewers on YouTube right now to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel? As we have fifteen likes right now. Oh, that's not nearly enough. <laughs> you guys need to like and subscribe. And, and we, we need to fit that into your script, actually. Um, good, like professional YouTubers are really good at that. They're I really will. good at saying, please click that like button. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. yeah, It's yeah. done. I will get that. Look, we just went up to 24. Look at that. You, you all are awesome for watching. Live. <laughs> so, and, so and, you know, right I now. heard some numbers the other day about how much some of those uh, some people make with like who have big youtube followings uh -huh. now that i know those numbers i understand why when i watch youtube videos they're always like please click that like button to subscribe i yeah. understand that they, 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 they make, i'm gonna work it into my uh, chunk of change to my rotation to my script moving forward thanks everybody for like oh, up to 32 you all are the best all right so 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 one more thing yeah. if, if you're watching it archived you know obviously everybody's participating in the stream right now if you're watching it archived comment on it as well that's another thing that gets youtube videos circulated is comments um, well, we are an hour and 20 minutes in, and I know we, I was just talking about it during the break. We, there's just so much going on at Virginia Tech Athletics right now. A lot of great things going on and hard to believe we're an hour and 20 in and we have not even gotten to talk about Virginia Tech football where there is some news. So we're going to talk about Virginia Tech football. If you have a question for Will or Chris, we will still get to them. I promise we'll wrap up talking about football and then we'll get to your questions on YouTube live last week. 
Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente filled the co-defensive line coach spot on his staff by tapping former Virginia Tech defensive tackle J.C. Price, who was a captain on Virginia Tech's 1995 Big East Championship team that beat Texas in the Sugar Bowl. We were talking about that a little bit earlier today. Coach Price returns to his alma mater after spending the the past nine seasons at Marshall University, most recently as co-defensive coordinator in the 2019-20 season. Chris, from one Hokie great in Daryl Tapp, to another one in J.C. Price. Your thoughts on the hiring of Coach Price? You know, uh, both Price and Tap check probably about the same amount of boxes, but in some cases they're different boxes. And you're never going to have a coach that checks, at least at Virginia Tech, you're pretty much never going to have a coach that checks every single box because those two those coaches are too expensive. You can't afford them. But uh, – I think with TAP, you know, you checked the Virginia Tech graduate box. You checked the 757 connections box. You checked the energetic recruiter box. Very charismatic. Very charismatic. You you can design a marketing campaign around Daryl TAP. You know, you check that box. Um, JC checks a box, though, that, that, that TAP did not check, and that's the experienced defensive line coach box. I mean, this guy's been a defensive line coach for a long time at a couple of different levels. Um, And he's helped win a lot of football games at both JMU and Marshall's. I believe he won a national championship at Marshall. Or, excuse me, at uh, JMU JMU when he was there. (laughs) Um, I think he'll do fine when it comes to recruiting, or at least as fine as a tech assistant can probably do right now. (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, I don't want to get into that. But... but, uh, my, the biggest question for this for me is this is the first time where that I've ever looked at the tech coaching staff and said, well, huh, who's going to coach, who's going to recruit the 757? So you go all the way back to like Cav and Steiny, where Cav was Peninsula and Steiny was Virginia Beach. And then you had Kurt Newsom and then you had Zon Burden and then you had Daryl Tapp. Virginia Tech has always had a 757 specialist from a recruiting standpoint, on their staff. And there is no 757 specialist on this staff. So uh, I, I don't know who's going to recruit the 757 for Tech. I don't know if it'll be Price just stepping in. Or, or Smitty. Or, or yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Smith, Smitty's already like Richmond. And I, yeah. Do you know off the top of your head where Smith is originally from? Uh, I think he's from around Richmond, but he went to William and Mary. Yeah. Not that there's too much recruiting on the peninsula these days. Generally, it's over the water, as they say, in the Virginia Beach, Chesapeake area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm also just – I don't know that it's actually necessary to have a 757 specialist these days because I don't know how much Cue it's going to – the gonna, rant. <laughs> I don't know how much it's going to – how much good it would actually uh, do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like right now, Virginia Tech needs the best possible coaches they can get. I mean, that is uh, what Justin Fuentes thinks. That, 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 I mean, honestly, <laughs> I got to win now. He's got to win now. All right, and I don't like it that it's come to this because I've always thought long term yeah. for, from a football standpoint. And I've and what I liked about Justin Fuentes' coaching moves after the 2019 season is they were long term moves, like. The, the Daryl Tapp, bringing in two defensive line coaches, Ryan Smith, a lot of moves in there to get better at recruiting because Fuente at that point was still thinking long-term at Virginia Tech. Yeah. And right now, though, 
there's not a long term unless there's a successful short term. So I think from a JC Price, the JC Price hiring, probably about as good a hire as Tech was going to do from from a coaching standpoint. Um, how well he'll do in recruiting, how well anybody will do in recruiting this year for Virginia Tech, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I I do you do worry a little bit though that you know every time you focus on the short term, it, you run the risk of harming yourself long term, right? To a certain extent. If if but but I mean, what's a, what are his options right now? Yeah. If he doesn't win this year. The fan base isn't going to be like, oh, we'll just give him four more years because <laughs> we like what he's done with with hiring Ryan or Smith and and JC Price, JC and, and, and Justin Tyler. Hamilton, blah blah blah. At some point, you know, you got to win. And All right, here, so and here let's, we are now. Let's stick to the topic. Okay, sure, <laughs> sure. And that is again that JC Price is returning. And and Will, you were reading up on some old articles that you've written yeah. on. J.C. Price, I mean, you know, I just saw on his Twitter, I think one of the first tweets that he had since the announcement of him and his family at McAdoo's, someone who knows the area. Coach Fuente mentioned it in his statement in the press, in the release that he knows, uh, you know, 757, Richmond, Northern Virginia. What are your thoughts on the hire, and what are your thoughts on the person, J.C. Price, the person that Virginia Tech is getting? So I, I interviewed him way back in uh, September, October of 2001 when he was – just getting started on his coaching career, he was a defensive line coach at Radford High School. Um, so I, I took that as an opportunity since I lived in Radford to uh, – um, I, I didn't know Norm Lindenberg at the time. Norm was the uh, longtime legendary uh, football coach at, uh, at Radford High. Frank Beamer will tell you that uh, it came down – Radford High had a coaching change in the very late 60s, early 70s, and it came down to uh, – uh, I think I think Frank was a candidate for that. He was. He, he was. was. Okay, uh, yeah. Chris remembers because he. I think that was him. in his book. I think yeah. he wrote about that in his book. And 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 they they chose to hire Norm Lindenberg instead of <laughs> Frank as the head coach. And Norm went on to win over three hundred games, and two state championships. Can, can you imagine if they had hired Frank and he got there and he was like, "Man, I'm a really successful high school coach. Probably just not going to apply for any college jobs ever." Man, it, it, so it's the little things, you know. And, uh, <laughs> So I, I had uh, Bev and Richie Davis introduce me to Norm Lineberg, and, and so I interviewed Norm about J.C., and I interviewed J.C. over the phone. I didn't get a chance to meet him in person. But uh, um, what I remember about that is I remember uh, I remember interviewing Norm Lineberg on the practice field. I believe he, he took time out of practice to do the interview with me. And I said, yeah, so, you know, J.C. It was 2001, and J.C. had a degree from tech. But he was uh, he wanted to get started in coaching, and he had an opportunity at Radford High. And while he was coaching at Radford High as their defensive line coach, he discovered that he liked working with kids and finding out about everybody's different background, you know, and learning what what strings to pull and, and levers to throw and things like that to get get production out of his kids. and And he was intrigued by that part of it, so he was actually getting a second undergrad degree at the time, which was a physical education degree from Tech. He had an interdisciplinary studies degree. And so that was the J.C. Price situation at the time. And uh, I remember asking Norm, uh, you know, uh, what do you think of him as a coach? And uh, I remember Lindenberg looking at me and going, he's coaching at the wrong level. <laughs> um, he said he's, he's good enough to be a college or NFL coach someday. Um, said his, his, 
his ability to, to the knowledge and the ability to teach defensive line technique is is phenomenal. He said he, he doesn't need to be a high school coach. I, I think we need to go. I'm going to go further than X's and O's here when I talk about JC and put put the era in which he came from in the context. JC was part of a defensive line at Virginia Tech that called itself Death Row. <laughs> okay. Um, this is the Cornell Brown. I'll throw Jeff Holland a bone. He was oh, on that Jeff, defensive line. You know he's watching right yeah. now. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Uh, my buddy Danny Wheel was a part of that that defensive line. Uh, really, really nice guys, but not so nice back then on the field and everything, right? Um, I know several players who were on the team back then, and I'll tell a story here without naming names. Uh, one day during practice – a freshman, a true freshman scholarship player who went on to become a good player for Virginia Tech. You know, they're, they're doing pre-practice stretching and warm-ups, and he's stretching out one of Virginia Tech's defensive linemen, one of their key defensive linemen, one of the key death row defensive linemen. So he's, like, stretching out his hamstring, and the defensive lineman grabs the, the freshman by the face mask and says, listen, bleeper bleeper, if I hurt my hamstring because you didn't – stretch me out properly, I will end you. <laughs> and that's how mean those guys was yeah. were. And that's the stuff that, quite frankly, like if that's if that happened today and that got and that story got told, Ooh, social, social media, media would, would be aghast. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. that's so mean. Virginia Tech's mean old football players, <laughs> you know. But that's why we were so good in the nineteen nineties. Yeah. And and so, and JC came from that culture, you know? Uh, so I'm excited about the hire from that standpoint. Very, very excited. I'll just leave in, it at inject that. Inject a little attitude. Yes, in exactly. And let me, we, we might have already pointed this out, but he was named the Conference USA Recruiter of the Year in 2015. Not only is he coming in as the co-defensive line coach, um, he is going to take on some additional responsibilities and that he is going to be the uh, defensive recruiter. Uh, defensive recruiting coordinator. Coordinator, thank really? you. So I was looking for the exact yeah. title in front of me, couldn't find it. Yeah, and, and Lechtenberg's the offensive recruiting coordinator. Yes. So that's what I wanted to get your thoughts on as well, is that as J.C. Price was the headline, there were a couple of additional, um, I guess you could call it somewhat promotions or uh, adding yeah, on you know, titles. What, what I do like is – is there are now four people on defense to shoulder the recruiting burden instead of just three? You know, last year we had we had Hamilton, Tap, and Ryan Smith that, that were your Clays recruiters. did not recruit. Clays was only going to be a one-year guy from the very beginning. Bill Terlink is is very much a uh, an X's and O's guy. Yeah, um, he is not. He doesn't check every box. Um, he is there to coach. And he's there to say, this guy used to coach in the NFL. He's not really being leaned on to, to excel and recruit. Right, right, exactly. But but now, by hiring Jack Tyler and by hiring J.C. Price and giving J.C. A, a recruiting coordinator role for the defense, there's now four shoulders on the defensive staff to bear the weight of recruiting rather than just three. You've got Justin Hamilton. You've got Smith. You got Jack Tyler and you've got JC. So that's four shoulders to bear, four pair of shoulders to bear the load instead of just three. So I like it from that standpoint. Yeah. And then again, Adam Lechtenberg, who's the running backs coach, added the title of offensive recruiting coordinator. 
Um, of course, he did a you know uh, really remarkable uh, job bringing well, Khalil Herbert he, and others. What do you he, think about he, that? He added the title. Um, I think that's Fuente came. Fuente said in his press release he doesn't give titles that people haven't earned. So I think he looked at what Adam Lechtenberg was already doing and said, "Oh, this would be a suitable title for what he was already doing." Yeah, uh, and. And I think the same thing for uh, Ryan Smith Who's with, with his new title. Passing game coordinator. For, for the defense, right. I yeah. think he was already heavily involved in that. So now he's just getting a title to to better reflect what he was what already doing. Already and quite doing. frankly, sometimes coaches just give titles to assistants so they can justify the athletic director – or so they can better present the, the argument to the athletic director that this coach needs a raise. Like – I was talking to somebody the other day who is firmly convinced that 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 Smith will be a defensive coordinator in the NFL one day, and is an elite recruiter. Like if this guy was at Penn State or Clemson or Alabama, he would be one of those guys you saw on two four seven every year top recruiter list. Right. If he had those type of resources behind him, they think Smith is elite and hmm. is going big time places nice. in coaching. You were there when. I was, yeah, so uh, I think you're not going to keep Smith very long. Uh, but it may, maybe you don't keep him this year unless you give him a new title and a slight raise, whatever you can do during the COVID year. Yeah, I don't the, know the that they can year. do much. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe you don't keep him if you, if you don't do that. You, yeah. you know, so there, there's also uh, – it's, it's a way to, to increase guys' pay, right? Yeah. Last thing on football, while it was uh, National Signing Day last week, of course, the real signing day now has gone from February to December. The Hokies didn't sign anybody last week, but Coach Fuente did have a press conference, and I did find it interesting that he was asked if they were done with the transfer portal yet, and I think he was actually specifically asked if they'd add another quarterback. He was very quick to say that they're st- they still might be looking for another offensive lineman, that that might be the one thing they're looking for in the mm. portal at this point in time. So I don't really have a question on that, but I did find that interesting that maybe they're not quite done. Yeah. Now, you'll get some pushback for saying they didn't sign anybody. Uh, the McDonald twins had a ceremony oh, that's at right. Salem High School, but they had already signed in December. And they just weren't officially announced yeah, you know, and yeah. everything like that. So Great point. So, so I don't know. At this point, to sign someone else in the transfer portal, you have to lose someone. And uh, DeBose hit the transfer portal last week, but I think they already knew he was going to hit the transfer yeah, portal. Yeah. Uh, some guys don't announce till they come back from Christmas break, you know, to keep their scholarship for that second semester while right. they find the landing spot, everything like that. And but and you could have some more after spring practice, assuming there is a spring practice. <laughs> so right now that situation is fluid, but I think right now for Virginia Tech to add more players, they're going to have to lose more players. I think they're pretty much up against it right now from a Well, you know, you have, your spring ball has to come and go. That's right. Yeah. Right, right. So I don't think you can ask that question. People will keep it continue. Fans will continuously ask that question, whether it's going to be on the podcast or in a Friday Q&A or on the boards or whatever. But we're really probably not going to have any new information there until late May or, right. or excuse me, mid-May, you yeah. know, once the semester ends and – or at the end of the spring practice, at the earliest, yeah. I don't think much is going to change between now and then. Where the 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 transfer portal, there's really two different seasons to the transfer portal. It's from the end of the college football season through basically it's, it's goes from the end of November through mid January, 
And then you take the, a big chunk of time off, and then it heats up again Post at the end of the semester. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Now, Ryan B. asked a question, what is a defensive passing coordinator? It's actually the offic- official title is defensive pa- – or, or not even defensive – passing game coordinator. Passing game. It's basically someone who helps conceptualize and game plan coverages. Yeah. Game yeah. game plan. Simple. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, all right. We're about to get to everyone's questions. Uh, but I do want to just leave a quick update as we run through winter sports right now that uh, Hokies uh, women's basketball making a surge. They've won three in a row, 10-7, and 5-7 and seven in the ACC. They're tied for eighth in the league, but they play at Miami on Thursday, who's also 5-7, and seven. and then at Boston College Sunday, who's dead last in the ACC, not counting UVA and Duke, who have suspended their season. So, opportunity that they did not play yesterday, opportunity this week for the Hokies to get back to 500 in the conference. Yes. Yes, and that would be a five-game winning streak. Yep, and I, I think that their resume is getting better and better now, each week. So. so if you've been kind of not really paying attention and thinking, ah, they're not going to make the tournament, they they actually, no. yeah, they're they're probably at this point around hovering around the last four in range. Would you agree with that, Evan? I would, and also keep in mind that the, the NCAA tournament's come out and said you don't have to have a winning record in your conference to make the tournament. I think well, Tech will find a way to – Finish with a winning record in the ACC. Yeah. That's my prediction. So just just keep winning ball games, yep. and they too will make. And I believe that'll be the first time that the men's and women's teams have ever made the tournament. If they both make the tournament, Correct. it'll be the first time ever. Did you also know that uh, Virginia Tech they make the tournament this year in men's hoops four years in a row? Yeah. Since they said that you do not count the twenty twenty two tournament, so that'll be four consecutive tournaments for men's basketball. When I was a kid, and I would lay in my bed and listen to Virginia Tech versus LaSalle and Virginia Tech versus Duquesne and Fordham. Virginia Tech versus Fordham on the radio. Or listen to those games against the late uh, John Chaney and his 2-3 zone and Virginia Tech would score 41 points. I could never imagine a day when the Hokies would make at that point I could barely imagine making any NCAA tournaments much less four in a row. Right? So, But I would always dream about it. So that's why getting to the Sweet 16 was such a big deal to me a couple years ago, and that's why I always love Buzz Williams is because he gave me something that I always wanted when I was a kid. That's right. You know? And, and uh, don't tell us about the 1967 team. We know they made the, the Sweet 16. Right, but uh, I wasn't, alive. Eight, I but I wasn't alive, so I don't remember it. Right. So, uh, so yeah, it's, so making it four years in a row. or Big deal. Even if you want to count last year and say four out of five, that's, yeah. that's a huge deal yeah. for, for, for me, for somebody who sat around – I remember as a student, we were awful. I mean, we, Ricky Stokes was the coach, but I would come back over Christmas break to go to basketball games, and there'd be like a thousand people there, and I was one of them. I'd be like one of like three people in the entire student section. So, to me, I feel mo- more ownership in the basketball program because when we stunk, I was one of those very, there. very few people in there. Yeah, you yeah. know. So uh, it, it's a big deal to me personally to win in basketball because I, I was a fan when nobody else was a fan. All right, we do have a lot of questions, so let's go rapid fire with these. I want to try and get through as many as we can. Let's start with the Eric Fisher, who is always the first to comment. Good morning. He is one of the the uh, the big followers we have here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. We appreciate you, Eric. What do you think the chances are uh, to get Bruce Arians to make an appearance back in Blacksburg? Maybe the spring game if it happens. I pretty, pretty good. Uh, I'll, I'll, All you got to do is ask. I just looked him up a little while ago. He's uh, 68 years old. 
Will he coach another year or two? I, he actually I don't know. he said last night, essentially to the extent of uh, hell yeah, I'm trying to win he, another. He's going to try to win another one. I think okay. he, that, that, that might have been close to what he said actually um, when he was asked. I, so. I think if you could go back in time, you would you would put in a rule that when Tom Brady enters the league, that he has to play for a different team every year, <laughs> which would give every NFL franchise a chance to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> the Jets. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Including you, the Dolphins and the Jets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Eric Fisher did say, I was thinking more about getting his name in front of recruits as someone get connected to the program. Well, that would be great. Uh, recruits aren't going to be allowed on campus until at least May. So you can... So, uh, honestly, on Eric, I don't think there's anything we can do to build recruiting momentum for the current coaching staff outside of winning a bunch of football games, yep. which they have to start doing this year. Although... Otherwise, it's just artificial. It's all artificial, right? At your point, you got to start winning. Doesn't matter who you hire to recruit what region. <coughs> you, you, I mean, you could bring in Michael Vick to talk to every single recruit, uh, and it's not going to matter. Well, they did bring him in to talk to who was the Devin back? Ford, and we still didn't get him. I know Devin Ford had a one-on-one with Michael Vick, and was he, he a quarterback? Went, no, he was a running, running back. back. He still it, went to Penn but, State, but he was, but Vick was his favorite player growing up. And we brought in Michael Vick at least once to have one-on-one meetings during Devin Ford's visits, and he still picked Penn State. Right. So, I. So I, I think I think the love for Virginia Tech is there on the part of Bruce Arians, right? Um, right. But I don't think it would move the needle. We have to start winning football games. You know, he was wearing Virginia Tech gear leading up to the Super Bowl, and I thought I saw somebody put in the chat. I didn't see this, but he might have said something about being a hokey last night in his, yeah. his post game press conference. So, um, let's see here, Justin Thomas. What do you guys believe is the main reason why it is all caps extremely difficult to win on the road in NCAA men's basketball? You know, I don't know. Uh... We know, at least as of last week when I wrote that article, we know that home teams are winning in the ACC at a 70, 71%, 71% clip. clip this year. And I actually don't know how that compares to normal years. I think a normal year is probably 60% or something like that. Okay. okay. I, I don't know. I'm just so guessing. It's odd. It's really, really, really odd that with no crowds, the winning percentages have possibly gone up, or at the very least they haven't dropped off. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. I do know when you go to Syracuse, even when there's fans in that place, that it's cavernous. But it's like you're playing when there's nobody in there. It's like you're playing in a big empty hole. So, yeah. so the, the the thing about there there are two elements about playing on the road. Number one is just simply the travel, mm-hmm. the lack of familiarity, that sort of thing. Number two is the crowd, and I have long suspected in in. Grievous Vasquez was a guy mm. was 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 a guy like this. He loved to feed off the off the crowd on the road. He specifically said he loved playing at Virginia Tech. Yes, you know, I think there's a lot of athletes that, particularly at higher levels, that feel challenged by a road crowd and inspired by a road crowd. And there's this whole theory that you know Virginia that playing Inner Sandman in Lane Stadium actually fires up the other team. You yeah. Know? So so. In in this era of COVID, you still have the travel elements, but you don't have a home crowd there, and it really becomes a, a, a pickup game. And and yes, I know it's you're, like you're, a practice on steroids. You're you're missing the home crowd firing up the home team as well. But I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things that that factor into it. Like I always think Miami plays better in Blacksburg. In, in football than, than they do when they play us at home. Yeah. It's the only time they get to play in front of a crowd. And, right. And get, right. So, and yeah, there are some people, <clears throat> maybe more people 
than you would expect who 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 just like to show up and spoil people's day you know <laughs> but there's no so but there's no people's there's nobody's day to spoil these this year because there, there there's nobody in the crowd yeah um some of those old school players you know they just love to be hated yeah uh, but and, and you're hated on the road yep. right like if you leave the arena getting booed it, 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 it on the road it's because you just did your job Good job well done right yeah couple of comments about the wrestling duel. Uh, somebody said, uh, Ryan Dye, quote, we've seen some fun wrestling duels over the last six seasons of the show, but that one on Friday was the entire reason I started loving the sport. He went on to say, I actually watched it the next morning for a second time. I was still jacked up. Somebody said it took him until Monday to calm down. I mean, so that's a lot of love about wrestling in the comments. So so if you're if you're not typically a wrestling fan, the, the duels aren't all like that. <laughs> now, there is a lot of drama and intrigue, but uh, I... I Evan, we could watch wrestling another Oof. 10 years oh, and not my see goodness. one like that. Now, there's also a lot of comments about RSN and why games. I don't want to get into that discussion because we've done it before. But I will say, I was looking through the schedule. I believe the only time Virginia Tech this year has played on ESPN, ESPN2, or ESPNU was only Villanova in South Florida. Um, I'm 95% sure that it has been RSN or ACC Network they, they every keep, game they, since they Penn keep, State. I'm sorry, in Penn State. That was on you. So Penn State, USF, Villanova, the only games that weren't on ACC Network or RSN. You know, it's these Saturday noon games on ESPN and ESPN2. It's always either an ACC or a Big Ten game. And Tech was originally scheduled to play in a couple of those games, but they were dropped to the ACC Network for whatever reason. Yeah. And I'm going and looking at the, at the ESPN schedules last week, and the noon game on ESPN – is a Big Ten game, and the ESPN2 game is an ACC game. And Tech got bumped out of those slots for, for some reason. Even, like, Tech versus, like, Louisville got bumped out of that slot to yeah. the ACC network, right? Yeah. Um, they, they have I, just, I just think uh, 10, 20 years from now, if somebody writes a book on the college sports landscape – uh, I'll use the word you used with me in the office last week. ESPN is complicit in the rise of the SEC and the Big Ten by favoring them in, in everything. Yeah. And I can't say I blame ESPN because it's, – It's business. They have to it's make It's business. And, yeah. and the fact of the matter is those conferences are made up of big, big schools with huge fan bases, more people. A lot of money. And the ACC – there's a whole lot of private schools with very, very small alumni bases. And that's yeah. just a fact of the matter. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about. A couple that. <laughs> more comments um, about wrestling. Justin Thomas, how big was NC State's challenge of Hunter Bowen's locked hands that were ruled okay and not having it? Uh, the takedown at the end of the match, yeah, that was really important. Yeah. I mean, that was a low scoring. I didn't have a good look at the locked hands. I know you probably saw the replay of it, uh, but I did not think it was a takedown. I thought that was the correct call on the edge of the mat. I thought that was not a takedown. I thought it was. I thought it was the right call. Uh, I'm having trouble with with. It was context. on the edge of the mat, and it was after the locked hands. And I believe initially it was I, I ruled thought, a takedown, and then they conferenced and and they they overturned it. Yes, correct. That, without looking that was at the a monitor. Call. That yep. Was a so yeah, you can't lock your. No, right, right. locked. It's a point. Right, can can right. you grab yep. your wrist? See, actually, like that's what's one wrestling rule that I knew. Because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'd go in and help my friends sometimes wrestle in high school, like if they were a man down or something in practice. And you know what a full Nelson is? Like, like the professional wrestling move, a full Nelson. 
And but anyway, you lock your hands over the opponent's head. So I had one of my friends in the full Nelson one day because I didn't know how to wrestle. Right? <laughs> he was like, he was like, he was like, you actually, he was like, you actually can't do that. I'm like, can't do what? <laughs> you can't lock your hands together. What are you like kidding? That. I see this on so, TV all the time. Yeah, exactly. So that that's actually one wrestling rule that I do know because of that. Um, and Justin Thomas also points out Corbin Myers has beaten four straight ranked opponents. I know. I think Corbin Myers. I mean, one thirty three is wide open in the country. I think anybody in that top eight can win it, but I think Myers deserves to be ranked a little bit higher well, than number I've, I've eight. I've been in saying for at least two weeks now he's number eight in the country, but he's wrestling yep. at a top four level. He's a graduate student. He's coming off a medical hardship, and I, he's wrestling, I think, the best he's wrestled in his, his entire career. Yeah. Um, Sam Latone is now 3-0 and against Jacob Camacho. He beat him once last year unattached, once at open mat, and then the match on Saturday. So interesting. I didn't realize Latona was 2-0 and going in. Even though Camacho was ranked fourth and Latona was eighth, that they had history. That's what you got to love about wrestling. Not so macho, Camacho. <laughs> Here's a football question from Billy Parvinum. He asks, when the college football playoff expands to eight, do you think it will lead to more parity in NCAA football, or do you think the one or two seed will still likely win, but it will engage more fan bases? What can we do to increase parity? I think the one or two uh, seed will continue to win, but I think it will um, engage other fan bases a little bit more. Um you know, this is this. We are supposed to answer these questions in rapid fire fashion. You could actually talk about that for five or ten Absolutely. minutes. Absolutely. Yep. You know, um, yeah. parody. I mean, we can get in recruiting. I, I mean, that, that's a whole I, other I, podcast. I, I do think that going to eight in the college football playoff is a band aid that will make things a little better. If it's a band aid. It won't help things long term. There, there is no yeah, yeah. fix. So, the, so let me let me get something out there. Um, people are like, oh, you need to limit the number of support staff and how much money people can spend. Sure, put that rule in place and watch all these support staffs go and form their own private companies and perform the same functions and charge Alabama for the services well, they're already Or, or you just start or like wrestling, like Southeast Regional Training Center, right? Uh, there is no fix here, folks. They're, 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 right. And even if you put like, even if you said there was a spending cap or, or something like that, then okay, so the person who donated the money for you to to the program who you used to buy all these support staff in the first place well you don't have those support staff anymore they're their own private company well then that person would just pay the bill for you and instead of sending it through the school um right it's just you cannot legislate yourself into parity in college football you just can't and so so if you want to limit the number of support staff what that means is nick saban will walk down the hall and he'll look at his 10 analysts who do, do nothing but cover recruiting. And he'll say, I can't pay you guys anymore, so go start your own company. Right. I can't employ you guys anymore. Right. So go start your own company, and I'll pay you to keep doing what you're doing. Right. You know, right. and what a waste of time. Uh, Becky Miller, interesting comment. Uh, Joe Bamaseal went to Monacan High School, which is in Richmond. Mm-hmm. It's coached by Mike Young's roommate and mm-hmm. teammate at Emory Henry, R.J. Yep. Spellberg. I didn't realize that. Yep. Interesting uh, stuff. Yep, that's exactly right, and that's why there's a certain level of trust, and that, that's why that's why people have been talking about. Oh, I, we've even seen some people say, "Oh, I've heard Bamasil's already decided he's not coming back next year." I never believe that. The reason he's at Virginia Tech is because there's a lot of trust. There's a pre, there's a prior relationship there, so he certainly didn't play on Saturday like he was interested in. If, if he was at a blue blood program, having been injured his sophomore year and senior year of high school. And he didn't hit the ground running right away. They'd be much quicker to get rid of him, 
right. and, and replace him with somebody that you know was was ready for college ball. Just look at the guy's face; he looks like he's having a ball. I don't yeah. believe that trade yeah, first stuff. Yeah. You know, we we had some good questions in here, but we had some really good stats, and I'm going to end with this: Hokey Chip, who love Chip, does a great job do covering uh, some softball on the boards. Love his stuff. Yes, Chip has written up a softball preview, Chris. So remind me, we need to get that into. Okay, I'll put it on my day plan. Here's what we'll end with: this in this near two hour long awesome podcast. From a Saber post, ACC home winning percentage this season is 71%, Correct. Mm-hmm. which is 8.4% higher than the 10-year average prior to this year of 62.6%. Also from the Saber post, the highest home winning percentage in a previous full season over the last decade was 68.9% in 2017. And again, it's at 71% right now, 8.4% higher. So we get back to the home games and the scheduling. I mean... That's, it, that's an interesting number right there. So, I, I, th- I, th- I think things are so regimented these days with COVID. Like, ath- athletic departments are so regimented. You're tested three times a week. You find yourself doing the exact same thing every day. I mean, that's student athletes have to deal with that to a certain extent as, as it is. But these days, there is literally no variation of your day. I mean, you do the exact same thing every day. I do the exact same same thing every day. So I think when when your life is so regimented, then when you do go on the road, it throws the things out of whack for you a little bit. Here's a theory. Athletes are, during the era of COVID, for these reasons, are less distracted at home than they typically are. That's true. Typically, they're allowed to mingle with the student population, go to parties, be involved in all sorts of other things. And that's not happening right now. So maybe it's actually sharpening their focus mm-hmm. at home. Right. That's a theory. Yeah, that is that's a good point. Really, yeah, there's you're you don't make that mistake of going to Tots the night before a game, right? Because Tots saying because you want to play <laughs> basketball, right? <laughs> you don't want to test positive. Um, those are really great, thoughtful posts, questions, stats. Thanks to everybody for uh, for chiming in and sticking with us. I know we ran a little bit long, but hey, when. Uh, and an eight-day window when you beat the number two team in the country in women's hoop, number eight Virginia at home in men's hoops, and then knockoff number three NC State in wrestling, and buzzer beater from Couture and J.C. Price. There's a lot to get through. There's yeah. a lot to talk about. Um, this is this a record. I uh, we're coming up on it. It's eleven fifty-six. Yeah, we're we're, yeah. we're going to be close. Um, but quickly, uh, TechSideline.com. It's a great time to become a, a part of the family. Eighty-four ninety-nine is annual price. Eight forty-nine the monthly price. $29.99 student price, and we've got some great content on TechSideline.com right now, including Will's recap of the win over NC State, which is more than just a recap. Will does such a great job of going in-depth, and even if you don't follow wrestling, putting it into terms that you'll understand and appreciate just how significant it was on Friday, go check that out. And as I ask Chris Coleman what's coming up this week on TSL, you can also get great content. Brandon, Brandon Patterson's already sent an article. It's a second part of an offensive series. I think my basketball article this week, which my, I might push Brandon back tomorrow and write this today since it's in my head, but it's I'm going to go on a little rant. It's not necessarily a rant, but I want to point out that I'm, I'm very, very worried about what the imbalance in home games for Virginia Tech. <laughs> I'm worried about what that will do for them come March, come, come to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, it's a legitimate worry at this point if the Louisville game, especially if the Louisville game this weekend doesn't happen. So that and – Everything else, I think, is going to be a normal week. Yeah, and, and so we've got a softball preview. And, and Evan, where uh, where do you put this softball team this year? Um, well, let me let me just tell you, they're, they're preseason ranked 14th in the country. It's their highest ranking since 2008 when they were coming off of the Women's College World Series appearance. 
Keely Rochard's the best pitcher in the country. They return just about every single player from last year's team. I thought Pete Coach Demore did a great job getting some key pieces in the transfer portal. This is a really good offense, and I think the difference between last year's team and this year's team that finished like 22-2 and before the season ended is that there is depth in the circle, and they don't just have to rely on Keeley. She'll get the majority of the innings, and rightfully so. She's the best pitcher in the country, in my opinion. Um, but they have great talent behind her in the circle, uh, which is great. So... Um, Softball gets started here mid-February. They've got some big-time opponents. They've got Florida State. They've got Clemson. They've got some big ones coming up to start the season. Chip, Chip Tony, says don't sleep on Kennesaw State. He said there. Yeah, that's, well, that's where Coach Demore came from. Uh, that's where they hired him from. So that's he was there for two years. And so, yeah, no, that'll – I mean, he, they want to be pushed. There's no question early in the year. So, um, But I, I think that they were preseason picked second in the conference. I'll go ahead and say I, I think there's a legitimate chance that they win the ACC this year and knock off Florida State. Nice. So, that's uh, that's the softball preview. We got a lot to get through. Uh, Eric Fisher, how long before we get a three hour podcast? Not today, but maybe someday. <laughs> Not today. Clark Rule and y'all should we consider don't have to have the an intermission in the, yeah. in the middle. Clark the, the, says the, we should consider the all questions podcast. We could certainly do that sometime yeah, too. Yeah. But next time you have Jeff Holland on, yes. you'll, you'll get three hours. All right, before we get to three hours, let's go <laughs> ahead and uh, uh, sign off. Everybody, thanks so much for joining us. A great podcast. As always, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tech Sideline. He's on Twitter at Will Stewart TSL. He's on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL. Thanks to everybody for the great questions. We'll be back next week to talk more about Virginia Tech athletics. All right, for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 166 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by Anytime Fitness, Campus Emporium, the Southeast Regional Training Center. Have a great week, Hokies.